Welcome to A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. Here's your host, Hans Christian Wittinghus. Hello guys and girls and welcome back to another episode of A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. First up, a big and warm welcome to my newest patron, Raf. Welcome to the patron community, Raf. We are now at 49 patrons, so just one more supporter needed to start up the exclusive Patreon monthly live Q&As. I'm setting this up at 50 patrons, so it really is so close now, guys. Anyway, thanks again for the amazing support, anyone. November has actually been the best ever month for the podcast in terms of support, so that's obviously just amazing. It really does mean so much to me. It's a big help to cover some of my podcast and travel expenses as well. And it also honestly keeps my motivation so high for this podcast. This podcast actually wouldn't be here without you guys. Today's episode will give you some news on my status, my plan for the upcoming tournament in January, some talk about what separates the pros from the very good club level players, and a couple of listener questions from my patrons as well. So let's just get into it. So since the latest episode, there is a uh, an update on my body status. On the uh, latest episode, I told you about a minor muscle pull in my right calf. That one has uh, has passed now, so my calf is doing well. My leg is in general doing well, but I am actually now carrying a meniscus injury in my right knee. It sounds uh, serious. I also have something called Slukigt in Danish. I will try to pronounce it in English. I think it's called osteoarthritis. So it's like an overuse kind of injury that you can't really get the, get rid of. But it's nothing serious. It's it's actually quite normal. Also uh, for now, I'm saying like normal people, so not not elite sports people to to get this kind of. Uh, uh, issue uh, but the meniscus injury is something I noticed like I noticed something after my match against Christie at Denmark Open I've told you guys about that before uh, I had trouble bending my knee after that match uh, it really uh, felt swollen uh, and I was struggling to get ready for French Open and then also for for the uh, the high low open uh, we couldn't really figure out what the problem was because I could still play as soon as the the uh, like the swollen knee was back to normal size and um, but i've kept on like feeling like there's something not 100 percent normal in the knee it's not like i can't play or train at full capacity it just doesn't feel 100 percent right so after some a lot of talk back and forth and some different scans and stuff uh, the doctor decided that i needed to get an mr MR scan just to uh, to see what's going on with that knee and it showed a very small injury on the meniscus uh, the outside meniscus on my right knee um, but it's, it's actually a fun story like when I was told I was in the car on my way to a league match in Sweden playing for a Swedish ma- uh, club called Tollhättan on the back seat was the guy I was supposed to play because he was also from Denmark. So we were four uh, four players in the car uh, who who were driving there together. Two from my team, two two from the other team. And while I'm in the car, my doctor calls me, uh, and because I'm driving, it's on speaker, so everyone in the in the car can hear what's being said. And like before I 
think about it, I'll really say anything. The doctor just says that, uh, yeah, hey, Hans Christian. Uh, so I can see you have a, uh, like the results from your scan is back and you have a meniscus injury and uh, yeah, also this other issue with your, with your knee. <laughs> and my opponent is, is sitting in the back seat and like, uh, I think he was wondering if I was gonna play with a, like a meniscus, uh, with a meniscus uh, injury. Um, but the doctor confirmed that it was like nothing serious and at the state it was at, he said it was fine to play matches and train as long as I don't feel a lot of discomfort or, uh, or pain. And I honestly don't, before this league match, I have been training hard for the past six or seven days with no, no real issues. So there's no like big risk by, uh, by playing with this injury. Of course, I need to feel how my knee is, is feeling or be, uh, be observant in, in terms of if, if the pain starts growing or something like that, then I'll have to stop or, or train a little bit less, but it's, it's no real issue in terms of my training and my matches. So I could play with no, no problem. It was just quite fun that he, uh, he said it while my uh, opponent on the day could, uh, could actually hear it. And by the way, I won the, the singles against him and also mixed doubles. So my knee is, uh, is still working luckily. So yeah, even though it sounds serious with a like a meniscus injury and this uh, osteoarthritis, <laughs> it's uh, it's not th something I'm too worried about. And the doctor also said that like we'll see in the next two weeks if it just kind of uh, disappears by itself. And uh, the little bit of fluid I still have there in the backside of the knee uh, should should go away. So the doctor doesn't want to see me until yeah in two weeks time. Then we will see how it goes and then make a plan from there. But it's it's very unlikely that any kind of surgery will be needed to uh, to clear anything up in the knee. It, it should hopefully just be back to normal uh, with some time. So hopefully that also means that my preparations for the January trip with uh, the Asian tournament starting again in January uh, coming up. Hopefully my preparations will be as smooth as possible. Uh, I've been training well for the past uh, week and a half now. And yeah, have one more month of training before we uh, we leave for Malaysia Open. The M and Q list, so the main and qualifying draw list is uh, was released today. And yeah, there's no qualifying in Malaysia Open. So it's simply just a list of who's in the main draw and who's on the reserve list. And I'm still 30 in the rankings. There are 32 players in the main draw. So that means I will make it to the main draw of Malaysia Open in the yeah, second week of January. And since I don't think there will be any major changes in the ranking next week, I will also be in for India Open the week after. So that's really great news. That's a Super 1000, a Super 750 event. So I will get the chance to play main draw events there. I will actually also sign up for the Indonesia Super 500 the week after. I'm a little bit in doubt if there will be any changes in the rankings, but even if I'm 30, I won't be certain of making the main draw. But in Indonesia, because it's a Super 500, there will be qualifying. So I will for sure make at least the qualifying, uh, but there's also a chance I can get into the main draw because often when we play three or four weeks in a row in week three, some players start pulling out uh, because of various injuries or uh, yeah, other, uh, other things that, that might happen. So there is a chance I will get to the main draw of Indonesia as well. And I kind of need to take this opportunity to, to play these uh, three events because as I told you guys before, my ranking will drop significantly when we come to January. So this 
is a uh, like the final chance I have where I know for certain I will be in the main draw of the big event. So I need to try and, and score some points there if I want to qualify for All England and also give myself like a realistic shot at qualifying for the World Championships next year. So that's why I'm going for, for all three weeks, even though I've said for quite some time now that I don't really want to travel for more than two weeks in a row. But I think, yeah, this chance, I, I, I simply yeah, have to take it if I want to give myself a, a good chance of, of achieving what I want next year. So that's why I will play Malaysia Open, I will play India Open and I will play Indonesia Masters the, yeah, three weeks in a row in January. And talking about this trip, uh, just to give you some insights too, I'm 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 talking a lot about the how you page the patrons I have, how your your support also helps me cover some of the expenses. I will try to tell you like how crazy the expenses are at the moment because I just I finished uh, booking my flights yesterday, and the prices ever since uh, after COVID has just like gone through the roof. So my, my expenses for those three weeks in Malaysia, India, Indonesia, in total, it's, it's 4,400 US dollars. So 2,200 for flight tickets, flying from Copenhagen to Dubai to Kuala Lumpur, then flying from KL to New Delhi, then from Delhi back to Jakarta, and then from Jakarta to Copenhagen via Dubai. So that's $2,200. Hotel in Malaysia, I booked that for uh, $45 per night, but that's only because I booked it uh, through like something like hotels.com. If I had to book it through the organizer, instead of $45 per night, it would be $105 per night for a double room I'm sharing there with a doubles player. In India, I'm paying $1,300 for the week. I have no one to share with, so that's like $185 US per night. And in the Indonesia, I again have someone to share with, so it will be something like $95 per, per night. So in total for three weeks with flights and hotels, as I said, $4,400. And I will basically pay everything of it myself. So a lot of money is needed to, uh, to make trips like this. And that's why I really say that even though I'm not getting this kind of money from Patreon, but it really does make a big difference that you guys are supporting. So I just wanted to confirm that once again, it, it is amazing that you 49 guys who are now supporting me is supporting with a little bit every month. I really do appreciate it so much. The expenses are honestly through the roof. So I'm so happy for your support, everyone. I just wanted to, uh, to state that one more time. Anyway, in the more badminton related uh, stuff in terms of, uh, of this trip, I'm I'm just very excited to go to Asia again. Uh, and even though I don't really want to go for three weeks, it, it's quite nice to know that Indonesia Masters is week three. It's always a lot of fun to play in Indonesia. So I'm excited about that. Uh, and I think the situation I am in with the ranking and everything, it, it I'm kind of forced to, I have to do it. There's not really a, a good uh, alternative to, to not play all three. It has also crossed my mind that this could be the final time I'm in Asia, or at least one of the final times, as if I do not do well, I probably won't qualify for the tournaments in Asia later in the year, and everything in February and March is, is played in Europe. So like, hopefully it won't be my last Asia trip, but it is possible, so I also want to enjoy it and be excited about going there instead of thinking of uh, the negative things of being away three weeks, and there will be a lot of 
trouble for my wife at home with my son and stuff. But if it is going to be uh, one of the last times in my career, maybe even the last one, I, I want to uh, enjoy it and be excited about it. Lots of players here in Denmark and other places, like they dream of just getting to go there once in their career. So I honestly feel like very fortunate to, to get the chance at least once more in my career. I tried it many times, but it's, uh, it is a privilege to get that chance one more time. Let's move on to the listener questions. There's one from Josh who's asking if I'm considering if I have any interest in playing the BWF Senior World Championship tournaments or Senior Championship tournaments. Uh, yeah, if that's anything I have an interest in, like in the near or uh, the far future. I would say in the near future, like next year, it's in Seoul, uh, actually, the World Championship. So uh, I'm not going to go for that. It's around the same time as the, the normal World Championship, so I will uh, prioritize qualifying for that. And I would say in general, I won't rule out that I can play some of these uh, Senior Championship tournaments. Um, but yeah, it's also not something that I'm really going to prioritize, but I love to play. I will keep on playing badminton. And, if it's played at a time where I can combine it with some holiday perhaps, or if it's if it's not too far away from uh, from Denmark, then I won't rule out that I would uh, I would go try and play it at uh, at some point. But not in the near future. We need to probably get go some years ahead in uh, in time from now. A question from uh, Ian. He says, weird question, but I have asked multiple coaches what the biggest difference between very good players and process he's gotten the same reply which is that top level players shots fly faster and then drop faster with less of shuttle wobble especially for like a drop or a push type type of shot is this true ian is asking do due to a faster racket swing and like crisper shuttle contact and i'll say i think that part is for sure true i think pros genu genuinely have faster racket swing and uh, like a crisper shuttle contact so i definitely feel like there's a, a lot of truth to to that statement but i think there are quite a few other differences that you can say in general uh, also matters between uh, pros and very good club level players and i think one is like consistency like all pros even the ones that if you look see them play on tv or via streaming uh, that even th those that look inconsistent compared to other pros will actually be much more consistent in terms of shot quality than most very good club players will be like on the right day the club player might have a shot of, at winning of course but because of the consistency in their in their shots and the quality that, that's almost always an issue for like a, a even a high level club player so over time they will struggle to to win uh, more than they will lose against a uh, any pro basically Another thing I think that often separates great players from good players is, is decision making. Like I think it's an underrated skill and not something that in my eyes is, is focused on enough in training at the club level. Good players play like a, a lot more on intuition only and, and struggle with good decision making when the pace gets pushed really high like it would for a, if you played against a, a pro player. And I think the final thing I'd say in general is that, that pros are, I think, more varied in the game. They have more tools in the, in the toolbox, if you can say that. Like even the good club players, or even very good club players are often quite 
one-dimensional in the game, especially if they are facing a pro. And again, if the speed is a little bit uh, higher than what they used to, the pro will often quite quickly figure out what's often gonna come from uh, from the other player and then have, an, have the upper hand from, from that point on. So that's also often why like a, a pro will, like in the beginning, the match might be a bit more uh, more even, but over time they will just figure out more and more what's coming. They will recognize the patterns and stuff like that. So I think that's also a, a big uh, difference between uh, pro players and high level club players. Final question I'll do today is from Vicky who's asking, what do you think that another Danish player leaving means for the way badminton Denmark wants to organize highest level badminton in Denmark? And that's obviously because Anders Antonsen just announced that he is also moving to Dubai now instead of training at the National Center here in Denmark. So now both him and Victor Axelsen are gone from the National Center. They will still be in Denmark. I think it's something like 13, 14, 15 weeks a year. So they will still train with us for quite some time every year uh, so we're not losing them completely uh, but obviously it's it's not ideal that the the best players are uh, are leaving the center on a daily basis but to be honest i don't think it changes a lot on the way badminton Denmark wants to organize uh, high level badminton it's concerning for them of course but we have to understand that it's not very easy to do what Anas and Victor is doing. It takes a lot of money and not a lot of players earn that kind of money that is necessary to be able to, to set up everything on your own. It will cost a lot of money to have coaches, shuttles, rent courts, get physio, doctors. You need to pay for travels on your own. You're not getting any support from the, uh, the Federation. So it's not really a viable alternative for, I would actually say for anyone besides Victor and Anas at the moment, no one else is, is earning that kind of money. Uh, but I will say that Babington Denmark is already focused on change and how to get our level back up to our usual standards. But that's not really driven by those two players leaving. It's more driven by the fact that our results in Denmark in general and like our competitiveness at the, the highest level events has been going down for a longer period of time so actually they've introduced a bit more uh, training at the national center uh, it's always been a little bit different in denmark compared to many other places so players didn't have more than uh, six trainings a week on court at the national center if you needed more time on court you would have to do it on your own or at your your respective clubs uh, but now they actually introduced a couple of more sessions each week. And in, in that way, they're, they're trying to change uh, things here and there and get more coaches in, have more eyes looking at the players and stuff like that. So they are actually trying to to increase everything about around the players here. Uh, and obviously, they would love the best players to, to stay here and Victor and Anas be here on a more uh, structured basis. Uh, but... It is what it is, and they are still working together with those two players. They will still also play the team events. They will still play the uh, the World and European Championships and stuff like that. So I don't really think it will mean too much, actually. Uh, Babson Denmark is focused on change already, but as I said, not, re not really driven by the fact those two are gone. Um, but it is, of course, something they are 
looking into and and trying to figure out how to kind of stop this uh, this thing from happening in the future. But again, I don't think it's very realistic to see anyone else uh, doing it at the moment because the what you get offered in in Babson Denmark system is honestly a lot better than what the people with like just normal income can uh, can create for themselves. Right guys and girls, I hope that all made sense. That will be it for today, a little bit longer than the uh, the past couple of uh, episodes, but I still hope you found this episode interesting. I'm always interested in getting your feedback, so please just drop me a message or leave a comment if there's anything you have in mind. It can be good or bad feedback, I don't mind. I, uh, I want to make this podcast good and interesting for you guys, so I'm always keen to hear what you have to say. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I will be back again next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Year on Tour with Vittinghus. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, share and leave a comment in iTunes or your preferred podcast app.